Now I am recording. <laughs> um, what was I going to do? Oh yeah, there's a thing uh, I'd like to show you um, before we launch into the show proper. Uh, yeah. If I could find this, um, where the hell did it go? Uh, and I might, I might, we might even include this in the show because I think this is really cool. Uh, sending it to you via Skype. Okie doke. So I was uh, on the world building subreddit yesterday and uh, I was uh, perusing around and I came across this really, really awesome map, uh, mapping post um, who by a Redditor whose name escapes me, but I'll link it in the show notes right now. Uh, I'll link it in the show notes um, so everyone go check it out. And uh, yeah, the, this person makes like realistic atlas style maps and they're amazing so i think oh, people should cool. go check it out they're so cool i want to be able to do this but it seems like the time and effort needed to be able to execute an atlas style map is just insane um but it's super super interesting links in the show notes to all this this is damn impressive it is, isn't it? Like, I would love to, at some stage, if I ever do build a fully fleshed out world, to be able to literally create, like, an atlas. Like, the likes of which can be bought in a bookshop. Um, mm. uh, I just think they look so great. Now, I know I realize they don't look very fantasy-esque. They look very realistic. But, like, oh, I just, I so dig it. I just think it's amazing. Um, and the craftsmanship to pull that off um, is is stunning as well. So, I think, yeah, people need to... People need to head over to this person's site uh, and give them some love. I think it's class. Yeah, this is this is damn impressive. Good work, Rupahaya. Is that the name? What's the name on the the deviant art that you linked me? Yeah, so I'm not sure if they they go by the same name on Reddit, but again, I will put all the things in the show notes and and people can check it out. Um, but yeah, it's super 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 cool. Uh, I'm really digging the world building subreddit lately. Oh, lots of sc- cool stuff happening on it, which is pretty cool. Um, I haven't actually been on it much. I may, I may check it out again. Oh, do you know what? There was an interesting talk about Black Panther. Oh yeah. Uh, about uh, a person was um, complaining is the wrong word, but critiquing, I suppose, uh, Black Panther. And I thought a really interesting point they brought up was um, the idea that uh, like there's this futuristic African nation. Um, mm-hmm. Yet they all dress um, like I don't know what the correct word is for this, like like uh, old school tribal like, um, mm-hmm. and they 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 kind of tall- historical clothing or it, historical seeming clothing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And they were kind of like this doesn't this makes no sense. And the, the comparison they made was uh, was imagine we created like a super futuristic European style setting, but everyone was dressed like Vikings. It's kind of like. That, that seems really silly. Like, surely their dress sense would evolve. And they made the point that they, they it, it's kind of like this, like, oversimplification of African culture um, mm-hmm. and all this sort of jazz, which I thought was a very interesting point, particularly when compared to, like, doing the same thing with Europeans. Suddenly, when it's placed in your own domain, you're like, oh, yeah, that kind of makes no sense. I, I agree with you on this. Yeah. Well, I think that, that makes sense in the context of it being... As as I said, someone I, I saw someone describe it as an American fantasy of Africa. Yeah, that it's it's a it's a very American image of Africa, and that it's like in the context of Afrofuturism, uh, being a, about American 
attempts to reconnect with a with a, a heritage that they don't have. Um, so it, it makes sense from that point of view. But yeah, from a, from a strict world building point of view, I could I could take their meaning. But I'm going to say I would definitely go to a futuristic Europe where everyone dressed like Vikings. That would be <laughs> class. And yeah. don't tell me that you wouldn't. <laughs> I, it will be it will be very very cool. I'll give you that one. Um, but I suppose that all the criticisms of Black Panther from a world building point of view largely fall in the sphere of it's an American uh, depiction of Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think that's most of them are in that ballpark. Um, speaking of which, uh, I, I realize we're not really in follow-up, but this is like a small item of follow-up. Um, we got left a link in the show notes um, on the last episode uh, to a podcast called Song Exploder, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a podcast where they talk to um, musicians and they dissect uh, a, a particular song and like the creative process that went into making it. So they, uh, we got linked an episode about Black Panther, and they talked uh, to the composer of the thing. Oh, to Ludwig. Is that the name? I can't. I can't remember. Um, yeah, I think the the composer was Ludwig Gordonson. That sounds uh, familiar. Yeah. Yeah, he he pr- used to produce a lot of stuff for Charles Gambino. All, oh, really? Like Charles Gambino's, I think, his first. Possibly his first two albums and, and most of his first couple of mixtapes, um, up to royalty at least, is all Ludwig. Okay, not to get sidetracked. Is Childish Gambino Donald Glover? Yeah. Ah, okay. All right. I'm very confused by, by, by everything that goes on there because I'm, I'm an old man and I don't know what the kids are into these days. Um, but yeah, anyhow. Um, You're an old man who doesn't know what the kids were into five and six years ago. Yeah, does Charles Gambino not do things now? Yes, but he was he he started getting really big when we were in college. All oh, right. Oh, I didn't. I I thought this was a relatively <laughs> new thing. I thought he like exploded like I don't know last year or something. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> anyway, the uh, oh jeez, what was talked about? Oh yeah, Song Explorer. So uh, I listened to it uh, on request uh, of a redditor, and like. All it did was further my idea that the, the idea that the music was kind of like subpar. Um, in the film because it, it, they talk about the African influences and it was really cool to hear that they actually went to Africa and like uh, talked to um, proper uh, musicians from Africa um, but then I feel like what they did was they just like they they went like 80% there and then just completely dropped the bat on in the final 20% because they were they kind of was like oh yeah we have all these recordings of stuff let's bring them back and then let's use tiny fragments of it like kind of mashed into this overall very uh like generic cinematic music and it was just like no 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 you need to ditch the generic cinematic music and make it all african you know um now i get that uh, the sort of the hip-hop sort of stuff is important because like there's the idea of like the american element in the movie uh, that that's important like when they're in america it's cool to have like american music um but like for the parts in Africa, make it all African inspired. Forget forget your orchestra and all this sort of jazz. Like make it a completely new uh, original sonic uh, scape. And I just think they didn't do it. And I was really frustrated at the end of the podcast. I was like, God damn it, you were so close. <laughs> but that might have been too jarring for audiences. So I don't know. It, it, it's all like I, I imagine Black Panther is this massive juggling act between um, what you call making it appealing. Uh, to people uh, without alienating people 
given mm-hmm. that the demograph, the, the audience is like um, American, largely. Mm-hmm. Um, anyhow, anyhow, there you go. Digression already. Go team. <laughs> We're doing well. All right, shall we uh, do some follow-up proper? Let's do some follow-up proper. Uh, do you want to talk a bit about lockism or lokism? Lokism, certainly. Lokism. Uh, so we got a couple of uh, emails about it. Yeah, we did. Uh, and Reddit one... responses. People really liked it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really glad to, to see people connect with it and, and have thoughts and stuff on it. Um, that, that was really great. Uh, first email we got was from Dan. Let me just open it here. Uh, who wanted to bring to my attention the theory of Lamarckism, which is a discredited theory of heritability. Heritability? Is that the right word? Oh, man, you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> hmm. A discredited theory about inheriting traits, uh, which stated that you could inherit acquired traits. So if two weightlifters had kids, they would have strong kids because the parents were used to lifting heavy things. So the parents, so the kids would be born with muscles. Uh, and that that's how animals adapted to their environments, that animals would say stretch to eat the leaves at the top of a tree and over generations, their necks would get longer. And that's how we get giraffes. And this is, as I said, a discredited theory. Uh, I've I've mentioned it a, a, a few times before in the podcast. I, I think there's also tied up with Lamarckism is the idea that we go through stages, and there's a sort of a preset thing of stages that humans are, by definition, higher than apes, and that apes are higher than other mammals, and mammals are higher than reptiles, for example, and. There's also a part of it, I remember having a lecture about this in college, that humans went through this in their embryonic development. Like the, the, the very first stage of a human embryo was a sort of a, a fish-like thing, and then it became reptilian, and then it beca- became a mammal, and then eventually it progressed through ape into human. Um, so it's a super interesting theory to look at to see how people conceived the world before... Uh, the concepts that we have. Question. Yes. You said it's a discredited theory, right? Yes. But like the part about the animals, I thought that's what we were, our working model is that like uh, animal A needs to reach up higher to get food. Neck grows longer and that's how we get giraffes. I thought that's literally how it works. It doesn't get a longer neck because its parents had long because its parents were stretching oh oh like it gets a, a, a longer neck because of like random mutations yeah and then the uh, ones that happen to have the longer neck will tend to be more successful and it's a slow process over time that the they'll go that way the ones that have the longer necks will get more food have more energy be more likely to survive be more likely to procreate right right that sorry that yeah yeah that, that that's fair that's fair so uh were you lo- locism seems uh, very close to uh, Lamarckism or whatever it's called. Uh, were, were you? Th- did you think about this when you made Lokism, or is it just happens that Lamarckism just like exists? And you're like, ah, oh, that, that's kind of close to my thing. 
Uh, I wasn't directly thinking about it. I mean, it wasn't an attempt to make an analogue, but in, in the sense that it is a theory about how the world works that is not what we have. Um, and I guess you say it is a, a false one or like a factually inaccurate one. Um, but I wasn't directly using it as a model. It could it could link in in some ways. There could be similarities between them. But I'm thinking I was thinking more of localism as something that comes from the environment rather than from the parents at all. Right. It just for anyone who may not have uh, listened to the previous episode, do you want to give a brief summary as to what localism is? Uh, so localism is a broad name for sort of a complex of ideas and theories that exist within Janspar which is my main Kong world, that people and organisms in general, their traits are influenced or determined even by the environment that they are born and raised in. So that rather than being defined or determined by inherited traits or racial traits, that if you're raised, if you're born and raised in the desert, you will be a desert person. If you're born and raised by the sea, you will you will be a coastal person. And it's not to do with your blood. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Uh, so that was that was Lamarckism. Um, that was from Dan M. And we got another email from David, in which he he talks a bit about uh, locism, saying that. Social stratification and inequality exceed racial boundaries. I guess that's in re- in relation to me saying how there, the concept of race didn't exist strongly in Janspar. Mm-hmm. Um, however, race is also a social construct. Absolutely. There are plenty of other social constructs. And the, the gist, I guess, is that all of these ideas in a society come from somewhere and they influence other things. They don't exist in a vacuum. And that's very much what I was getting at, that localism isn't, first of all, it's not a single thing. There isn't only one singular concept of what localism is. It's a complex of related ideas, the same way that in our world, thinking about inherited traits isn't a single idea. You've got lots of different approaches to it, including modern understanding of it, and it would include Lamarckism as well. And some of those concepts are true, some are untrue, some are harmful, and some are neutral. And localism would be the same, is that there's a lot of different ways of thinking about it, and it's it's a, a category of ideas rather than a single thing. Mm-hmm. And also, it doesn't exist by itself. It's not the only way of thinking about the world or thinking about other people that exists. It exists alongside religion and other kinds of prejudices and other ideas about the world. Yeah, because uh, you, you wrote about like how the last time how uh, it's critiqued and uh, your man calls for a rejection of locism. So clearly there's competing ideas. Yeah, Darian has, has written a rejection of locism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, I think David really kind of got what I was what I was getting at here he's he's highlighted the the same things is that it's not a it's not a single thing and its existence doesn't preclude the existence of other concepts and it doesn't mean that there can't be other kinds of prejudice 
Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, yeah, cool. So thank you for that. I'm, I'm really glad that I've kind of made, that my intentions have, have made sense here. Man, you got to commit it to paper sometime. I'm trying. I know. <laughs> It'd be class if you did. I, I, I really would look forward to it. Um, I think it's a really cool idea. I think it's a very, very cool idea. And the other thing was something uh, someone linked in... Actually, I'm just going to open the, the Reddit again. My computer crashed a moment ago, so I've lost all of this, but I had all these tabs open. He came prepared, and then technology let him down. Curse you, Skype. <laughs> this podcast is not brought to you by Skype. <laughs> <laughs> significantly impeded by oh we're gonna to have to take that out or we'll get sued um captain venoms linked on captain the reddit venoms. that's awesome it's the best name. <laughs> uh a couple of articles about the belief in europe in the late 1700s that america was a degenerate continent and th- wildlife and people there weren't capable of being as strong and as hardy and as healthy as Europeans. That's something about the environment of America, including the idea that it had recently raised itself from the the seabed, so it was still drying out, and that's why it was so swampy. Which I'm not sure it really is notably swampy, but I mean, anyway. I'm sure there's swampy areas, but like I wouldn't, I wouldn't class like I don't know. Montana as being swampy. <laughs> I don't think any white people had even seen Montana at that point, but let's say even New England. I mean, it's, it's forests and things. I wouldn't have thought of it as a large marsh. Yeah, doesn't it not get marshy when you go down south a bit? Because like, I know D.C. Uh, is, is marshy. Oh, that's true. Um, that's true. But like, that's, a, that's a southern thing. Um, yeah, Maine. And you've got you've got like Louisiana, which is is known for its bayous and things, mm-hmm. but and its wetlands. But anyway, um, there there was this idea that because of its environment, the the wildlife and also the people of North America could couldn't be as strong and as as hardy as European or Old World creatures. Um, something about it's it's the, the spirits there in in the the gases sense, not the ghosts sense. Um, weakened people, which I guess is pretty close to to locism, uh, and is certainly be one way of implementing a, a locust mode of belief. Hmm. Uh, but in the the cause of rejecting and refuting that concept. Thomas Jefferson ordered uh, an entire moose carcass to be shipped to Paris so he could show it off to Parisian scientists to prove that American creatures weren't inferior. And one of the articles makes a really interesting point, let me open it here, that it made those early Americans, those early white Americans, uh, have a sort of pride in their their wildlife and in their landscape and sort of idolize outdoorsmanship and hunting and things. And that's what the article says is, this is where the seeds of Kit Carson, Davy Crockett and Buffalo Bill are first planted. That, you know, the spirit of this man taking on nature comes partially from this refutation of the idea that America was an inferior continent which I think is really interesting. Huh. And that ties in 
to a degree with what David was saying, that these things don't exist in a vacuum and they lead, they come from somewhere, but more relevantly here, they lead somewhere else. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That And it's, it's very definitely a, a thread or a trend in American writing, this idea of taking on nature. Um, if you read the, James, I think it's James Fenimore Cooper who wrote Last of the Mohicans and stuff, there's this sort of spirit of the frontiers and taking mm. on the forests and then it goes up even to like Jack London and things like that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, the Jefferson thing is nuts. Like, it's hilarious, isn't it? <laughs> like, I, I, uh, I had no idea that, about that uh, until we got linked and I basically read it in real time to the captain because I couldn't believe what I was reading and like hilarity ensued. Just like <laughs> the idea that like notable diplomat Thomas Jefferson is all like, <laughs> what do you mean our our fauna <laughs> is lesser than this? Someone bring me a moose. Bring me oh, the- oh, I am going to show you. <laughs> I am going to show you Comte de la Buffon. And like given, <laughs> given like the hurdles of like transport back in the day, like the idea yeah. of bringing a moose, like just find me a moose and stick it on a ship and send it across the Atlantic is like, that's like, that is no joke. Like that is a big undertaking to do, which I think is hilarious. And apparently one of the articles, if I remember correctly, uh, it talked about how he was very particular about like what moose, like he was like, no, no, you must send the biggest, best moose. <laughs> I think it's great. Uh, I'm sorry, I should, I should try and have like a big, intellectual debate about this sort of thing here but like i'm not even going to try the moose thing is hilarious that it, yeah. no no it is it is <laughs> there, there is no denying that yeah man you know just really quickly like not related like or not really uh, essential at all is i cannot think of jefferson now right as a white dude like jefferson looks like the guy who played him in hamilton for me like jefferson <laughs> jefferson is a person of color with a massive fro and like, and it's it's really strange. Like, I, I, I oh, David Diggs. Yes, yeah, that's his name. Yeah, yeah. He looks he looks like David Diggs, and yeah, I just I can't I can't picture him. And when I go to his like Wikipedia, and I'm like, oh, that's not Jefferson. Like this like this like white dude. I'm like, no, no, that's not Jefferson at all. What are you talking about? I like same thing with George Washington. George Washington is like a very stocky, uh, or not stocky, kind of a uh, like a bulky, very tall, bald black man. Um, and I, it's, it's just a really strange thing that's happened to uh, my idea about America. Hamilton ruins everything. Hamilton makes everything better, sir. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah I, I'm very glad to see the people uh, like got into the mix with talking about localism. I think it's class. And like I said, if you ever get a chance to commit it to paper, like please send it to me. Like I need, I want to read this. Oh, absolutely. Um, and we should discuss it on the podcast. Anything else on localism? Uh, I I think that's it. Uh, just thank you for everyone who expressed an interest in it and and seemed to enjoy it. And I'm glad that it had that it interested people and that my intentions were clear because they seem to be. So yep, thank you. It's cool. It's really good. Um, a bit of follow up on my end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I want to also say thanks. Uh, to greater artifacts yeah, for like the one of the only healthy tech talks I have had on the internet in a long time. It was just it was great. We talked about computers. It was awesome. I realized this is ostensibly a world building podcast, and the tra- the the Reddit comments should be 
just about world building, but it was really great just to talk computers. And as a result of this, I have decided should uh, finances improve to the point where I have like a good bit of disposable income, I'm going to mm-hmm. try and build a PC. Cool. Um, because like, I, you know, I think I need to like uh, walk the walk a little bit. Like if I say I'm this like uh, platform agnostic uh, sort of dude, but then don't actually use Windows at all, I feel like building a PC and like actually constructing the thing from the ground up will give me an understanding of this world. And then that will make me use windows. Uh, I cause I have a, like, I'm not really willing to switch over to windows, uh, from Mac for, for like work purposes. Cause I understand it really well. I can just bash work out. But if I had a secondary thing, um, yeah, that totally could be a goer. Uh, so yeah, healthy tech talk has made, perhaps spawned a, a new hobby of mine down the line, uh, which is great. So thank you so much to the internet for just, just being able to talk like human beings. Like that's just class. We have a good community. We do have a good community. There's that word again. <laughs> good. <laughs> no community. There's a whole thing. I don't know if you're aware of this. There's a whole critique of the word community and uh, how, like, I, I don't necessarily agree with this, but like how you, you shouldn't really use the word community because the community is being kind of co-opted by corporations uh, to try and make you feel, try and like instill a bit of tribalism uh, amongst its user base or their user bases. Um, and it kind of has like kind of shady connotations. Uh, people on the internet seem to think that audience is a much better word than community. I don't care really uh, because I think it's a bit prescriptive and I think words have meaning and context. But it's just, yeah, every time we hear community, I can't help think about uh, all those arguments. Yeah. Um, I think when there's a, a case of the the communication extending beyond the the videos and the podcast like sending emails or discussing things on the reddit i i think community is a little bit more applicable um because you know we're we're seeing the same people people that you know comment or email frequently and they're recognizable to us as as individuals um and also because we're not being shady with it we're we're saying you know these are these are people that we communicate with. We're not we're not doing it in a cynical corporate kind of way. Right, exactly. I was about to say that's that's what I mean about like uh, words have meaning. Like if we suddenly mm-hmm. said like, "Hey, you won't be part of the artifacting community. You have to go buy X thing." Like that's yeah. co-opting the notion. I mean, of you community. do, but, but we don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love how you play that card. I love it. It's just it's so good. Big corporate bill. <laughs> Uh, but anyhow, yeah, yeah, like yeah, the the folks on the Reddit were great, and it's just it's very healthy. I, I got into a, a fight, uh, well, not a fight. I got into a strong verbal disagreement with what I believe to be a, crea- a creationist under the last video, <laughs> and that like that that I, I, I'm ashamed of myself for getting involved. I shouldn't have gotten involved. I know better than this, but I did, and it was terrible. But like that kind of was in stark contrast to like the very healthy attitude of of. Uh, commentary that was on the reddit like you know this this was a person not willing to listen not willing to accept other sides whereas on the reddit like it was kind of like i'm a mac user i'm a pc user that's fine let's talk stuff here's why i do this that's why i do this and it it was yeah it was it was really good and the internet needs more of it so kudos to everyone involved kudos uh and then final bit of follow-up on my end is coat of arms Mm-hmm. And I am going to 
because I didn't include in the show notes, I'm going to just quickly link you on Skype. Link you to the thing. Uh, we haven't talked about this. You and I have not talked about this, so let, we should do this on air. I think I have come to what I believe to be the winner of uh, the Artifact Scene coat of arms. Oh. And uh, I'm going to put it out there, and then uh, you can tell me whether you agree or disagree with, with, with my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the winner should be Cool Mare's entry, which from the last show um, was uh, basically the defining characteristic of the coat of arms was the no ape sitting on top, uh, which I think is just class. Because, because the thing that does this for me is that it's kind of uniquely about the podcast. Like the, the others are really good, but they were kind of a more general Artifexian uh, coat of arms. Whereas Cool Kumair's one was kind of like it's it's the podcast and it cannot be misinterpreted as, as anything else. Um, I will say I'd like to amend it slightly and say that the uh, the uh, the no ape should be holding a quill as per an earlier dwa- draft of Kumair's. So I think we need to make a hybrid thing. Kumair, I will be talking to you if Bill agrees with this. Um, so yeah, what do you think? Kumair's coat of arms as the uh, official. Artifexian coat of arms that may or may not be uh, put on t-shirts that will enhance your status as a member of the Artifexian community should you choose to buy it. <laughs> bye, bye, bye. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed, I enjoyed Kilmeris. I think it was, it was probably my favourite out of the ones we, we looked at Cool. the, the last week. The, the, the three of them were, were really good, but the, the touch of, of the no ape really kind of knocked it over the top for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, cool. So you happy with with we'll we'll, call, we'll say Kumer wins? Yeah, I think so. Hey, think so. congratulations, Kumer. I'll be in touch in the Reddit or something. We'll we'll we'll, we'll talk and sort out details. Um, but like, I, yeah, I have a I have a question about your your suggested uh, uh, thing about changing the astrolabe to a quill. No, no, Bill, Bill, Bill. Both the quill and the astrolabe. Oh, more is more, Bill. Always. <laughs> <laughs> more is more that is literally true <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly um i don't know if this is a, a level of specificity too great for a blazon but could the could the star be 12 pointed or have 12 rays coming from it oh how would you feel about that oh bill bill you're dead right it needs to have 12 rays Yes. Okay. Cool, Mare. We want. We need. We <laughs> we need six of the pointy rays and another six of the wavy rays on the star in the middle. Yes. Cool. Makes sense. Cool. Yeah, I think that's cool because that'll be a further bit of kind of artifacting Easter egg in there. Um, are you the pointy rays or are you the straight rays? Oh, sorry, the the, the wavy rays. Well, now, this depends largely on what aspects of our personality uh, you think about. Like, in one way, I could be the straight ray in that um, it I'm very kind of like, uh, my views are very kind of like one dimension, like just straight to this thing. There's no nuance, that sort of thing. Whereas you're kind of more broad and expansive and more like intricate and that's kind of more wavy to me but also like i indulge in an awful lot of verbal diarrhea which is a kind of <laughs> very very wavy way of thinking as whereas you're more succinct so you could be the straight one there um mm. also the straight thing the straight rays um are kind of like if we think of the spear as a symbol of violence like i am very quick to anger 
Um, Are you? Yeah, like if something annoys me, like a, a terrible flag, I'll get like viscerally angry at the thing. Um, okay. uh, 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 and you, you are, you're much more chill. So you're kind of like motion to the ocean. The the sea refuses no river, sort of wavy sort of thing. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, it depends. Depends on what aspect of her personality you're looking at. What do you think? Uh, you make you make very strong points there, and I I can't I can't settle on a on a single one. Uh, we'll open it up to the audience, <laughs> the audience. or the community. <laughs> Yup, we'll see what we'll see what the, the folks have to say. Um, but yeah, so yeah, Kumar, we'll be in touch uh, and we'll sort stuff out. Congratulations and thanks so much for everyone um, who who wrote in with suggestions. Um, like uh, you, you, your work was all class. Uh, it was really really cool. Um, and d- don't don't think that because we didn't select it that we think it was terrible because like that's absolutely not the case. Um, no, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. And I had, so, I had so much fun over the past two months looking at stuff. Like, it's great. It's, it's so amazing. So, yeah, yeah. Congratulations, cool mayor. Congrats. Okay. Uh, do you have anything else to follow up, or should we head into main topic? I don't think I have anything else from follow up, no. That's uh, Reddit taken care of, uh, all the locus and emails. Yeah, I think we're done. Uh, before we do main topic, Bill, uh, can I go and make some coffee? Yes, I'm going to make some tea. Excellent. Right, I will see you back in a few minutes for some main topic action. See you shortly. All right, (laughs) bye-bye. So uh, I released a video uh, last night. uh, That would be Monday the 7th of May. Um, And it was about uh, atmospheres and specifically about creating Earth-like atmospheres. So that's atmospheres for that are conducive to the evolution and sustenance of carbon-based humanoid bipedal uh, life forms. Um, and I think it went down really well. And uh, I have a few bits and bobs to talk about, if that's okay with you, Bill. Sure. Um, so so two things that are kind of like housekeeping type things that I think uh, are might be of interest to explore for some people is the concept of a carman line. Do you know what this is by any chance? I do not. Okay, so I didn't talk about this in the uh, in the video uh, that much, uh, not at all, really, uh, because I don't think it's it's never really influenced my world building, so I didn't really think it necessary. But the Carman line is the point at which uh, you're officially in outer space. Okay. And I believe it's, to, I could get this wrong because I don't know that much about it, but I think it's defined as the point at which at anybody, uh, like, flying uh, up there uh, in order to generate the necessary lift to stay in position would have to be traveling at orbital speeds, something like that anyway. So there, there is, there will be a way of computing the exact point of the Carmen line. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll leave links in the show notes to that if anyone is interested. I usually just fudge it by saying, hey, when the atmosphere drops to functionally zero, just call that the outer space line. It mm-hmm. saves on the computation and it does like 90% of the job. Um, but I'll throw it in there for, for the super hardcore, uh, hard... Uh, Hard sci-fi nerds. I suspect there's probably a bit of real, real-world precedence there, in that outer space and the boundary between space and atmosphere seems like a fairly loose thing, like one of those things scientists don't know exactly how to pin down, or isn't worth exactly pinning down to a single idea. Yeah, I believe Carmen himself was even fudgy with his thing. Um, and I've, I've heard at least one comment now, granted, this is a comment on the internet, so I don't know how, how solid this is. Uh, but one person, um, disputing it saying 
uh, the lift that a body generates can also depend a lot on the shape of said body. So mm-hmm. you have that you have that variable in there as well. So it could be an ever fluctuating line. Um, and if that's the case, then I think the method, especially in a world building sense of just kind of saying, hey, when atmosphere is zero, uh, you're in outer space. Like that just seems, or when pressure yeah. is zero, that seems like a, an easier thing. But again, for the completionist, links in the show notes. And it depends, like, why do you actually need that figure? Why do you need a figure, like, to say that here's where space begins rather than this is what happens at this height? Seems I mean, like a more immediately relevant thing. It is. That is true. But, uh, like, I don't know. I like the idea of being able to, like, compile a funny, a fully functional Wikipedia for a fictional world. Uh, and those little nuggets are kind of, like a little bit interesting like they've no they've no real consequence at all yeah. for any sort of story but it's cool to have it as a footnote you know yeah but like as, as i said it seems like this would be a real world problem as well so it's it's okay to just say oh yeah you know, yeah whatever yeah that's fair that is entirely yeah. fair um the other thing a lot of people were talking about like hey inert gases uh they're inert right they don't react with things uh couldn't we have tons of them in the uh in the atmosphere uh the answer to that uh is yes and no, uh, in that, like, if you have too much of anything, it usually causes death. Uh, one thing I've read about atmospheres, Bill, is too much of anything is just death. Death mm-hmm. everywhere. There's death everywhere. Um, and you can, like, asphyxiate. So pure from... oxygen is a good idea? No, it's a bad idea. Sounds like a good idea. Are you trolling me? A little. <laughs> Such a cheeky. A little. <laughs> no, it, it is a bad idea. Things will combust spont- uh, spontaneously. Um, but even things like, you know, uh, people saying things like, hey, what happens if you had 20% oxygen and like 80%, uh, I don't know, uh, krypton or whatever. Um, it seems like that shouldn't really matter, aside from the lack of nitrogen, which plants need and things like that. Um, but like you can still asphyxiate uh, from inert gases. And things like that. And you can still get narcosis knowledge. So I'm going to leave a link to a really cool world building uh, thread. I think it's a world building stack exchange thread. Where a uh, commenter goes through various amounts of inert gases. And tells you all the terrible, terrible effects that it w- they would have uh, on you. At various uh, percentages. <laughs> so I think it's really cool. It's very, very interesting. Because there is a temptation to kind of go like 50% argon. And you're kind of like, that. no, not going to work. Um... But yeah, so that there. At least if you had loads of neon, it would be very colourful. Uh, I would it, would it necessarily? I don't know. Do you not need to uh, excite it with some sort of electricity in order to make it colourful? Yes. Yes. Okay. There you go. Oh, I was being facetious. Cool fact. Cool fact. Right. If and this kind of bleeds into uh, another point I want to make is that if you found a way of putting an awful lot of helium into an atmosphere. And keeping it there, or as opposed to keeping it there, kind of producing so much that even as it like goes off, there's always a substantial amount of it. You replenish the mm-hmm. helium supplies. Uh, like people would talk with squeaky voices. Isn't that really cool? <laughs> I yes. that's, that's really interesting. And then on the flip side, oh, I'm going to get it wrong, but I th- I think it's xenon. Is it xenon or is it krypton? One of them does the opposite and makes you talk with a really low voice. Or sodium hexafluoride. Uh, d- does sodium hexafluoride do that? I don't think you're going to have a significant amount of sodium hexafluoride in the atmosphere, man. That sounds like a really bad idea. <laughs> no, but it, it, it... Or, sorry, sulfur hexafluoride. It's, uh... It's, it's used for, like, the opposite of... Of... Helium. Squeaky voice effect. It makes your, your, your voice deeper. 
and it's like safe to breathe and stuff and you can use it for for magic tricks i've seen a a magic trick where there's like a box just an empty box and you put a paper boat in it and the boat floats in midair because the the box is actually full of sulfur hexafluoride oh it's safe to breathe yeah i think so and then you like you get a cup and you like pour the the air which is actually sulfur hexafluoride into the boat and it sinks and it just looks like it's all happening with air it's cool Huh, so maybe it could be a component of a of an atmosphere. If it's Possibly. if it's safe to breathe and it doesn't react. Uh physiological effects. It's non-toxic, but uh, carries the risk of asphyxia. Well yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, man, again, so much more research involved. What does gas X do? Asphyxia and narcosis. It's always asphyxia and narcosis. Which is narcosis? Uh it's like a drunkenness sort of thing. Huh. But it it, it ends up with death. Like really bad narcosis is death. It's always death. Um, yeah, there's uh, three things or four things for sure in life, Bill, death, taxes, narcosis and asphyxia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, yeah, and uh, a cool thing on the helium thing is a little story idea I want to put out there is that um, uh, I think this has occurred in, in sci fi somewhere. If so, I am going to leave links to it if I can find it. Um, but you could technically use helium, the helium content of an atmosphere as a as a pinpointer for intelligent life. Um, which could be kind of like a a cool plot point, as in like you're going around the galaxy and you're like, oh, I found the planet. And the planet has like, you know, 15% helium. And then they're like, oh, it must be inhabited and all that sort of jazz. Um, And I think you could get that. You could replenish your helium reserves by making it be a waste product of hydrogen uh, fusion, I think. So Mm -hmm. it's like a super advanced uh, technology. They could dump a whole lot of helium into their atmosphere as a byproduct of like creating energy um mm-hmm. which could be really cool it could be really fun a really neat idea or just as a global prank to give everyone squeaky voices uh, yes i could that is going to be a stronger motivating factor than the latter than the former <laughs> even yes <laughs> uh, i just think it's pretty cool it's very yeah. interesting it would make for a neat little thing if you're on this like the deck of a starship and uh, Spock is looking into his little thing, and it's kind of like they said the planet was uninhabited, but there's helium in the atmosphere. Dun dun dum, and then you know it's a cool little thing. Um, and then uh, the final uh, little uh, interesting sort of story idea that I got from comments um, uh, uh, below the video is uh, the idea of we talk the, we talk about like low pressure in the video. Uh, where if the pressure is like at sea level, it's already low, and the further you go up, it will decrease. You could mm-hmm. you could end up with a scenario whereby like the tops of mountains are completely uninhabitable, and you need like pressurized suits to to climb them. Mm-hmm. One commenter came up with a really cool idea, um, which would be really cool for building mythology. In that the uh, the mountains themselves are considered the afterlife, as in people ascend to them like they're like people know that they are there but they can't access them assuming they don't have the technology so they they create myths about this and say that their ancestors ascend the mountains uh, to live out their afterlife there which i think is class i think that's really cool it's a really neat idea and a really cool way that science can be used to create uh, mythologies and world building i think that's brilliant what about animals with physiologies adapted to living above where humans could live? They could have kind of cool roles in a mythology like that. They could. Uh, I, I would wonder then why did the humans not also develop these things? If why the don't we have wings? 
Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, that yeah, could be really cool. The animals up there could play a part in it. Yeah, they could be like the keepers of the afterlife or whatever. Uh, the guardians. Like, that could be really awesome. Mm. Um, so yeah, anyhow, links in the show notes to all the bits and bobs I talked about and then links in the show notes to the video. Go check it out. Let me know what you think. Uh, uh, there will be f- more videos on atmospheres. Like, I need to do one on alien atmospheres um, and I definitely need to do one about, like, how the atmosphere, um, and particularly like weather patterns, affect mapping. Like that's a really mm-hmm. important one. So there's going to be a couple more in this. So this is not the be all and end all. Um, so yeah, any questions? I have one question. You have one question? Okay. This is the part of the show where Bill asked me a really hard question about the video, which I had not researched beforehand. And then I have to be like, I don't know, Bill, I'm really sorry. <laughs> Go for it. Um, so at the start of the video, you say input your mass radius and temperature values in relation to earth yes what's the temperature value and how do you derive it what is Um, that referring to yeah so that comes from the albedo video where we talked about um planetary temperature okay so it's just like whatever you've computed in that video uh okay it goes in there uh for for earth it's it's 15 degrees celsius is a is about kind of like the surface temperature of earth the average one um yeah which is like 288 kelvin or something and that's based purely on albedo and doesn't take into account the atmosphere. Doesn't take into it does take. How can it take into account the atmosphere if it's what you're using to help set up some of your atmosphere? That yeah, yeah. It, there's there's a bit of circularity going on there, but like. It, this isn't science this is world building <laughs> like okay. you're going to probably bounce back and forth a little bit like as in you might input a temperature and then go to select your gases for your thing because you've like some idea about what you want in your atmosphere and then realize ah crap like the pressures or like the atmosphere can't hold on to the gas i want and then you're going to go back to the albedo video recompute try and drop the temperature somewhat and then you there'll be a bit of back and forth going on okay um Yes, I agree. It's a little bit circular, but I mean, that's the method that uh, a lot of the literature seems to use. So um, I, it would be uh, a great act of hubris on my part to, uh, to deviate from it. Yeah, so it's a case of messing around with things till you find something that fits. Yeah, yeah, because okay. again, it's not science. Like, I mean, like, if this were science, it would be extremely bad methodology. <laughs> um, and I had one idea that Ooh. came to me watching the thing. He said about worlds with higher oxygen contents, mm-hmm. that they would have larger animals, like in the Carboniferous period. Could, uh, could, could. It, they uh, could. Could, yeah. Sorry, they could. Um, and they could have larger plants, uh, and that fires would burn hotter. Yes. That could have interesting um, implications for the material culture, because it would be much easier to develop metallurgy. Yes, agreed. Totally agreed. Yeah, um, and it even goes so far back as like it could have a like uh, a big effect on just overall development because it might be easier to literally just make fire back in the day, mm. like rub two sticks together and like fire starts in a fraction of the time uh, that it did that does that it did on Earth. So you could think that uh, advancements would occur at a more rapid rate, perhaps. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. You can get it, maybe get a Bronze Age way before the Bronze Age on Earth. And once you started getting the Bronze Age, you might progress quicker 
again, we're using this very sort of linear idea of history, but you know what I mean? That yeah. once you get that, that technology, it will be easier to get other technologies. So essentially what we're looking at, right, is a hyper, a hyper uh, futuristic, uh, m- like medieval analog of Europe, right? Where everyone is dressed like Vikings and they've all discovered like how to forge, uh, I don't know, pure platinum uh, into <laughs> all bits and bobs. I don't know, something like that. I was trying yeah. to, that was a terrible joke trying to tie back in the, uh, the, uh, the future of the space Vikings from earlier. All right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the melting point of platinum is quite high, in fairness. I, I, is platinum useful for our, for weaponry? I don't think so. I don't think it is. No. No. Uh, is it? Is it soft? It's not. Is it soft like gold? I don't know. I don't think so. Let's let's ask Google. Is platinum <laughs> soft like gold? Stronger and more durable, but it's softer metal than gold. It's softer than gold? Yes. Oh, wow. Huh. That's mad. Huh, there you go. Um, the more I make these videos about atmospheres, the more I realize I need to really read up on chemistry. I never liked chemistry in school. Um, oh, chemistry's the bomb. Ah, uh, man, like, I'm going to offend some chemists out there, but like, and this is hardly a, a new line of attack uh, for us anti-chemistry people, but like, it kind of sort of feels like stamp collecting where it's just kind of like, oh, this is uh, element A and element B and that's great. We put these two together and we get element C and that's awesome. And like, there's... You don't get a new element by putting two other elements together. That's, no, uh, I'm that's sorry. That's very much not what yeah, elements I, are. <laughs> I, I misspoke. I misspoke. I meant, I meant to say molecule. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please, please insert the word molecule there. Thanks, Bill, for the pedantry. I appreciate it. Uh, but yeah it just yeah it felt very much like yeah kind of like um this is the world and we have identified all these elements and here they are on a a chart and um substance a is made up of these ones and substance b and and yeah and that's fine and uh, like maybe maybe i didn't really like chemistry because for some weird reason we weren't allowed to do experiments in school um we never did a single experiment and maybe young edgar might have really enjoyed chemistry had I got the chance to like blow up a few things uh, and like see some badass reactions and like you know like when you put is it potassium into water or something and it like bounces and sparks and stuff like that would be really cool to see um, but that just didn't happen so uh, ergo I didn't develop a love of chemistry. We made soap. It, you made you made soap. Yeah, in in, in chemistry for the leaving cert. All right, how did that go? It caught fire. It caught fire. Why did it catch the, fire? The soap didn't catch fire. The the whole experiment caught fire. The the whole okay. I, this is not meant to happen. I assume. I don't think it was meant to happen. No, but it was quite entertaining. Is 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 soap flammable? Like, if I tried to burn soap, would it burn? Well, I don't know. I I'm gonna say no. And also, <laughs> I usually keep it in the bathroom, like on the sink, so it's in a damp environment, so it probably wouldn't be flammable it's so wet which isn't really a scientific or chemistry based answer but it's it's a practical one it, it is a practical one that's that that, that is true <laughs> uh, part of me really wants to see uh i don't i don't i don't actually own soap so i can't test this yeah we, we've noticed <laughs> god damn <no. laughs> 
For the record, just to clear my good name here, I don't own bar soap. I have cleaning products. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyhow, if there was experiments, I might be more uh, okay with chemistry, but it really was, a, oh God, chemistry in school was just so dull. And it's just kind of like just list listing elements and uh, balancing equations without any kind of like practical thing. And that like that didn't, that yeah. didn't help at all. Um, which is weird because things like physics, like I was never huge into science anyways at school, but things like physics were f- seemed kind of different to me because it felt like, oh, we're in the realms of abstract math here. Like, like as in we can't fly an airplane to demonstrate this thing we're talking about. We have to just use maps. Whereas with chemistry, it's kind of like, yeah, well, why don't you just get out some carbon and some uh, whatever, I don't know, whatever thing that will react with some oxygen. Get out some carbon and some oxygen to show me. But like, it's just, there's a blank ban on experiments, um, which is terrible. It's not good. I wonder why that was. Um, but maybe someone tried to create soap one time and blew up the whole school. <laughs> Bill ruined it for everyone. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, so uh, yeah, anything else to add, or should we crack into some uh, bill, bill building, bill builds, building with bill, <laughs> world billing, world <laughs> title for the show. No, <laughs> we have we have the title world billing. <laughs> Why do you always take the silly things that I say and make them the titles? Because <laughs> you're funny. I'm not. <laughs> oh, um, God. Okay, world building. Episode 30, 32? 32. 32. Oh, sorry. 3 2 Let's Let's be correct about this. Uh, yes. World <laughs> Our 38th episode. Uh, I love our number system. It's all over the shop. Anyway, okay, let's do some, let's do some world building. <laughs> Okay, um, uh, this week, this month, this episode, I wrote another extract from Darian's History of Janspar. Why is this program open? I don't need this program. <laughs> Go away. Uh, shall I read it out for you? Um, yes, please. Okay. Give me a moment to clear my throat and drink some tea. To get into character. You have to don an English accent <coughs> to make it more kind of like weighty. Because all, all fantasy is in English accents. Like, come on. There's no other yeah. accent permitted. The, um, the past, in the past, everyone's English. In the future, everyone's American. Uh, that's not... Oh, I was about to say that's not true, but it is true because Star Wars happened in the past. Yeah. And, like, the Empire is all English. Um, they all have English accents. Yeah, that's true. Largely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, okay, so did this happen in... Well, okay, I suppose this didn't happen in the past or future. It's, it's, it's a whole separate thing. I think, Bill, you should use the, the, your normal accent. I think that's probably the best call. All right, cool, let's do well, it. It was definitely going to. <laughs> the common tongue of the Ishkone is not, as many mistakenly assume, the native speech of their home continent. Rather... As communication between peoples was held as a divine aim in their great work, they created a language, both to unify their own diverse Tutve and to allow all mortality to speak freely. This tongue, crafted for clarity and ease of learning, was the first gift the Ishkone brought to mortality in the era of contact. Among all scholars, the arrival of common speech is regarded as the event that elevates a land from ante-sermal times to the enlightened ages. 
As to the question of the languages of the Aishkone themselves, not only do they not natively speak the language that bears their name, but in fact at least two entire families of distinct old Aishkone tongues exist on their home continent. Though crafted as a pure tongue, common to all mortality and native to none, Aishkonen is rarely pure in practice. It is all Janspar's tongue for commerce, diplomacy and scholarship, but most will speak it adulterated by the languages of their own native lands. In the age of withdrawal, then more lately and most grievously after the sin of Amulun, Aishkonen dialects around Janspar became more diverse and isolated, and some became mutually incomprehensible. An extract from Darian's incomplete A History of Janspar, Volume the First. Cool. Volume the first? Yeah. Not the volume one? Or the first volume? Volume the first? Have you never never seen that convention? No. Is that a legit thing? Yeah. Oh, no way. Oh, I thought that was you trying to just, like, make it sound, like, not earthly. No, it's, 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 a, oh. it's a historical thing I've definitely seen. That's interesting. Huh. So, a uh, bit of conlanging. A uh, bit of information around conlanging, yeah? Uh, kind of, yeah. Uh, did, uh, I have, I have, I have loads of questions. Uh, but do you wanna, do you wanna give us some commentary on it first before I launch into it? Um, well, just as as it says, the the Ishkone, who were the the race that were first contacted by the deities of Janspar and brought the religion. Of, of the deities and brought a lot of knowledge to the rest of the world are the Aishkone. What, what, come here, what do the Aishkone look like? Are they like humanoids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. they're, 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 they're human. Oh, they, they're like literally human? Like, yeah. Like they're liter- literally us or they're just a human analogue in this world? Uh, no, no, they're, they're, they're humans. They're the first humans that were contacted by the by the 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 peak by by the the gods okay okay uh and they created said language as an interlingua as an international auxiliary language yeah Yeah. you know what i really like man what i really like the fact that it was like as so many interlinguas uh or uh, auxiliary languages go uh it like didn't it's not perfect and mm-hmm. there's like splits and like some people are kind of like, oh, we speak one version of like Esperanto and this other crowd speak another version of Esperanto. You kind of like, this sort of defeats the, pers- the, the, the purpose of Esperanto. And I love that that's included here. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it just seemed like the logical thing that would happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because yeah, um, the, the age of, of contact lasted for uh, 300 years or whatever. And that was mm, about... A thousand to thirteen hundred years before this was written, I can't remember the exact figure. Um, so in that time, it's going to have changed, and there's going to be lots of differences over it. And I mean, it it happened historically in the way that Latin was the the language of scholarship in Europe until I don't know, maybe the eighteen hundreds. But people would speak Latin influenced by their own languages and other languages that they knew. 
Do we still get taught Latin in school? Can you take Latin in secondary in, school here? In some schools, yeah. Oh, oh interesting. Okay, cool. Huh. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it, there, yeah, there is historic precedent for this. And it just seems really like, yeah, it, it feels real. Uh, more real than saying they invented this language and it is this perfect uh, constructed thing that it doesn't undergo any of the messiness that happened in the real world. So I think it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, come here, what's a tutfe? So they're the organizations formed by the Ishkone. Uh, it's a shortened uh, form of Tutlas Venkaranve, which translates from Ishkonan as Mutual Bond Organization for the Fulfillment of Great Ideals. Man, that, that, that name sounds like it belongs on the Fakal Portis like flag. That's. <laughs> yeah, and that's why they say Tutve instead. <laughs> that is a cur- that is. Yeah, so the, they're the so they're the organizations of the of the majority of Ishkone. What well, what do you mean organizations? I don't understand that. As in, like countries, as in groups of people. Like, are you are you thinking of governments as being organizations? Are these corporations? Are these like just loose uh, groupings of people? I don't understand. Sort of yes to all of the above. <laughs> I forgot we're in Yadspar. Here we go. The, the, this this is how the the Ishkona organized themselves when when or certainly when when dealing with others, and it, the Tutve are the organizations by which they undertook their great work and by which they they trade. So you you know you you deal with rather than like a corporation or a bank or or or, or a nation. The Tutve is the kind of social unit. Right, but that is similar but not equivalent to corporation, banks, or countries. Y- yeah. Uh, man, man, do you know what you need to do? What? You need to write a piece on Tutve's. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, that's, that's, a really, that's another really cool idea. Like, how do they set up their constructs? Like, I wouldn't even have thought of that. Like, I would have just been like, yeah, fine, they're all like, you know these Ashkonans here, these are the Western Ashkonans and they live in this country and these are the Eastern Ashkonans, they live in this country and, you know, that's it. But it seems that you have this, like, really cool sort of uh, other system that goes above and beyond that, which I think would be really fun to, re- to read about. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I realise I keep giving you homework here, uh, but, like, it's the only way I get to understand this because you can't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very welcome. <laughs> um, cool. That that's that's really cool. That's really cool. And I've I've mentioned uh, the Ishkonan tongue before in the stuff I've written. Remember when I wrote the the manual f- on the language of Shibani? Yes. Yes. So actually, I'm going to op- open that up here um, and give you the the relevant quote. Uh, which I think I think touched on what you were saying there about the language changing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what I wrote in that post was further. It is noted that Shibani languages have had a significant grammatical and lexical influence on the dialects of Ishkonan spoken in the Tyler Sea and all along the coast of both continents. So that's what you were saying there. That you know it, it doesn't remain. Uh, like this kind of ideal single language, it picks up influence from other places, and yeah, I've 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 touched on that before mm-hmm. before I, I actually described Ishkonan. 
Um, a final point. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this is not really related to this or only t- marginally related to this. What do you think about the idea of like meta commentary about the process of world building in a world build world built thing? Like an idea of kind of like this, this kind of strikes me as like, oh, the Ishkolans, they, they did a conlang. They made a conlang. Um, mm-hmm. what do you think about that? Like, cause I know Sanderson, uh, has done it. I've, I, the captain has sent me quotes from some of the books that I haven't read where he will literally reference world building in his books. Um, what, what do like you think about this? The thing from, from the Mistborn series about the, the planet was, was moved too close to the sun and the, the, the person who did it didn't understand the ramifications that would have. Uh, possibly I've only read the first Mistborn book, so I don't know. Right, um, but yeah, but what do you um, think about the like the yeah, literally bringing world building uh, and conlang and referencing referencing them in the text? Mm, that didn't strike me as something all that interesting for me to do. Right. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why. Okay, because yeah, because when I read your thing, I was immediately hit by that. I was kind of like, oh yeah, they should go into conlanging. And it always kind of, and this is not a criticism of your work at all, but it always kind of like uh, snaps me out of it a little bit. I'm always kind of like, oh, author is author is talking about uh, the thing, their work, basically. And it's, um, it, I always find it very, very strange uh, to listen to. Yeah, no, it wasn't my intention to make this be a thing about conlanging. Um it's just that in for the society for for Janspar, the world to be the way I wanted it to be there this was kind of a, a necessary element right and again this is why I say it's it's only marginally rate right, because like I thought of it uh, reading your text not to say that it's actually literally mm-hmm. in the text um but yeah I know just an interesting point um because I see it every so often and I'm always kind of like I wonder do people feel about this the way I feel about it uh, which is kind of like I'd rather it weren't there. Uh, like, mm-hmm. don't bring up Conlang or world building uh, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it just seems like hide your work sort of thing. Uh, but again, n- not not necessarily related to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and anything else you want to add? Any anything in there I haven't covered? They're, those are my things. I Tutfe uh, meta commentary on the process of uh, Conlang world building, uh, the folly of interlinguas, and how they rarely ever stay pure. And, um, Oxlines. yeah, uh, yeah, Oxlines, yeah, yeah. Um, so interlingua is, is an actual language. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. Uh, the folly of Oxlines and how they rarely ever stay pure. And, um, yeah, so have you got anything that else that you uh, that I've missed that you want to add? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, it's, it's let's see, let's have a read over this. It's not their native language. Uh, there are at least two entire families of of native languages to to the Ishkone, but they they speak this uh, with with outsiders and within their Tutve. Um, no, I think that's that's pretty much it. Cool. All right, we'll put it we'll put it out there to it's, the world. We'll see what the subreddit says. Yeah, it, uh, I, I, the, there's a lot of parallels to to the role of Latin in in historical Europe because it would it would be a religious language as well, because um, it would because as the Ishkone were the ones who brought religion, uh, the scriptures 
that were composed would often be, therefore, in this language. Um, so it might be one of the the main touching points for people to interpret this. But uh, yeah, no, that's, that's the that's the gist of it. Have you fleshed out any of these languages? I have not. No, um, because as as I wrote, Ishkoni is designed to be. Uh, easy to learn and to be very expressive and stuff so it would be very hard to actually do that because I'm not an experienced conlanger yeah that, that's uh, and it is a, in in a sense and a totally like it's an it's an impossible goal uh and to do it would I'd have to take into account whatever the the biases of the creators and such are yeah yeah definitely like you don't want to construct it just in isolation um yeah, yeah, totally, totally, I agree. Um, and also, there's absolutely nothing wrong with just kind of saying these languages exist and not actually having those languages formed. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's entirely fine. Like, but, um, but I will have to make reference to it, presumably. Like, you know, I've already coined one t- and, and expressed on, on, on the podcast one term. Um, so I'll probably have to work out at least some of it to make sure that I'm being consistent in, in when I say that this thing is derived from Ishkone. Um, yeah, but it I suspect I suspect a lot of place names would be as well. But yeah, but that's you're essentially just working on a naming language there. Like they needn't be that deep. Like you know, like Martin, for example, in 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 Game of Thrones. Like prior to it becoming the TV series, I believe that he didn't really do any conlang. He just came up with a few words that sounded uh, like they kind of sort of belong to the same sort of language. Uh, mm-hmm. And then it was given to Peterson, and Peterson just like ran with it. Um, so yeah. you, don't, you don't need that much to actually have something that can function in a work of fiction I think um, just a little bit and at least I, I've, I've built in a, a kind of an excuse for myself that if, if there's any inconsistency I'll be like oh well that's how they speak it on, in the Shaiban Spur but it's it's totally different in Perkoa I mean, well there's, there's played no comparison between how they speak it <laughs> well played you know, nice oh, well, that, that's why that grammatical thing that doesn't make sense happened yes it's like my, my get out of jail free coming Hard. Cool. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Shall we? Uh, shall we crack into the green room? Let's crack into the green room. That's uh, some intense claps going on there. I did it differently. Oh, did you? How did you clap differently this time? Usually, I would lean forward and I would clap my hands near the microphone, but here I sort of leaned back and I clapped both hands off my lap. Wow, that's. Yeah. Dedication to diversity within within clapping. It's all in the technique. It's all in the technique. Um, I just looked at the time and like we're an hour and a half into recording, mm-hmm. uh, with significant pauses for computer crashes. So this could be a very short episode. So just like just want to bring it up for the folks in Artifexia. Now that we're kind of trying to do a make a podcast after each video. Um. This means that the podcast will be uh, somewhat more frequent, which also means that they might be a little bit shorter. Um, mm-hmm. Because, like, well, for example, Bill uh, mightn't have the time to go do a big elaborate bit of world building. Uh, it might be a, a shorter piece of prose and things like that. Uh, and also, there may not have been as much time for, like, feedback to accumulate. So that section is, is also a bit shorter. So just just a heads up and let us know if you're not cool with that. Um um, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a slightly shorter show every so often, um, mm-hmm. um, but we'll see. Well, let, let us know. Sure. Um, yeah. So, green room. How you been, man? 
What's going on? Any crack? Have you been to any museums lately? Any crack? Not a lot. No, let me think. Uh, I've been teaching and I've been working. Uh, I've read a reasonable amount recently. Anything um, of note that sticks out? Any good uh, books to recommend? I've been rereading some of the culture books by by Ian M. Banks. There was a few that I hadn't read before. No, there was there was one that I that I hadn't read yet, so I read that recently. Um, I reread Use of Weapons, and I'm currently rereading Player of Games. Cool, cool. Um, Links in the show notes, people. Yeah, uh, very very good series. Um, for anyone who, who's not familiar with it, uh, the world building is very much focused on the the civilization that he portrays, the mm-hmm. culture, the which culture. is the name yeah. of the culture. Yeah, uh, so uh, you can imagine I'm saying it either with a capital or a lowercase c. The culture is is really really interesting. Um, a lot of the series is so the culture is this sort of idealized utopia like far far future technology post scarcity um hyper liberal you know, huge emphasis on personal freedoms mm-hmm. um sort of yeah kind of like post scarcity anarchism and it's you know it's this amazing utopia that he's constructed and a lot of the series even though it's you know it's reflecting his personal politics and what he sees as an ideal world a lot of the series is is about deconstructing it and finding characters that don't fit in or f- characters mm-hmm. that expose the flaws in it, which is really interesting to read. Yeah, 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 totally. I mean, like, that's uh, a big criticism about uh, Star Trek I have in that they do present this utop- utopian society, post-scarcity society, and, like, it's not heavily probed at all. It's kind of like, oh, this is it, and it's great, and everything's better because uh, Roddenberry was like, that's my vision. Um yeah, and sometimes I felt like kind of like really need to probe it. Now, I, someone is going to write in and say, "Yeah, but like they display other races, um, another species, and that's used as a counterpoint." Yeah, mm-hmm. fine. I suppose a bit of internal probing would have been better. And I may I may be misremembering because it's been ages since I watched all of Star Trek. But that was the sort of feeling, the overall feeling I had about about Trek. Um, and Doesn't it looks like DS Nine do that a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. No, this is based on hazy memories of DS9. It's been a long time since I've watched oh, it. I've, I really want to watch DS9 again. I'm trying to convince the captain to watch DS9. I think if we can make a true uh, discovery, um, she might be willing to watch DS9 with me. Um, mm-hmm. Because we, I only ever watch TV. Have you finished Discovery? Have I? Well, uh, as much has been released. Okay. Has more come yeah. out? Has more come out? No. No, okay, right, yeah. No, as much has been released, uh, and she seems to be enjoying it so far. So that that's always good. Um, but anyway, yeah, not top of Star Trek culture, and ending to add on culture, um, or the culture. Sorry, should I say? No, just uh, good books. Uh, he's quite light on technical details and stuff, which I I quite enjoy. He doesn't spend a lot of time explaining how the hyperspace drives work or whatever. He mentions a few things. And it does fit into a reasonably consistent internal framework, mm-hmm. but it doesn't go to huge lengths to justify it um, based on known physics. It's just, here's a thing that's there, 
and that's fine. And I'm going to worry more about describing the civilization and describing the the cultural backdrop, yeah, yeah. which I quite appreciate. Yeah, totally. Hide your hide your building. Um, if you have done it, hide it a little bit. Um, don't shove it in people's faces. Um, and mm-hmm. also, yeah, it, it's it's okay to um, uh, leave the more nuanced bits for a central point and all the the external things or the peripheral things just be all kind of like almost hand wave and just be like, yeah, that exists. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, cool. So I think that's uh, all I've been up to. I haven't been to any museums in uh, a couple of months. Not since I went to Amsterdam. Um, have you been to any museums, Edgar? I I have not. I I don't particularly like museums. Um, they but don't. You live in a city. I do, but like, and I've been I've been to the museums here. I've been to like I don't know four or five museums in Dublin. I just don't. They're, they're like they're. I get that they're very important, and I get that people uh, enjoy them an awful lot. But they're. They're, they're just depositories for old stuff uh, for me. And I'm just kind of like, I, I don't, I don't get a kick out of like, of like being all like, Oh wow. That's, that's the first sword. Uh, the earliest sword we've ever discovered in Ireland. That's in the glass case that I can't touch. I'm like, well, that's great. That's wonderful. Uh, and then the argument for like, you learn something from a museum. I don't think that's entirely true. Cause you could learn it from the internet as well. Um, so you're not, you're kind of deprived of the more tactile, uh, mm-hmm. sensation of the stuff the information is not contained is not limited to the museum and okay yeah you get the visuals but i it's not enough to make me kind of go oh my god i i need to go to museums all the time but you've seen the bog bodies right uh, i don't know what bog body what are, what are bog bodies oh they're people from the stone age who were like dug up from bogs and they're really well preserved Right, but can I touch them? No, but they're cool as heck. Right, yeah, but you see, but the thing is, I would look at a picture of the bog bodies and be like, that's class, I'll go read about them. Uh, but if I can't touch them, it's like, why am I standing in front of the thing I can't touch? Do you feel the same way about art? You can just see art online. Y- yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, like, not not entirely, because sometimes it's it's kind of cool seeing, like like, depending on... Like, like uh, if you take like pointillism, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some some schools of pointillism will have like very, very heavy stabs of the brush such that they leave a little like peak of, of paint. Sometimes yeah. it can be kind of cool to see the 3D element of that. Um, yeah, the texture of it. Yeah, that can be kind of cool. And not, not just with pointillism, like they're like, does, does Jack B. Yates kind of paint like that. that there's, there's like a, the oils are kind of like layered and textured and kind of wavy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, and Van Gogh will also do the same thing. So yeah, I, it's not just pointless. That's just to bring up an example. And then conversely as well, like uh, if you look at people who uh, try to achieve like photorealism, like the lack of texture there uh, can also be very, very uh, intriguing. But like that lasts for like, like five minutes in a museum for me. I remember going, uh, this, people are going to think I'm such a Philistine, but I remember going to the Louvre uh, when mm-hmm. I was younger. Now, granted, I was I was quite young, but I remember feeling just this very underwhelmed sensation of just being kind of like, there's a lot of old things here. And they all, because I'm not a big art nerd, they all kind of look the same. Uh, like, And I knew the Mona Lisa because the Mona Lisa is famous, but everything else kind of just mm-hmm. like looked like paintings of, of dudes. Uh, and that was it. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, I don't get the same thing. I, 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 I yeah museums painting sculptures anything i'm just kind of like mm, meh take it or leave it 
I, I'm kind of the same. Like up until Impressionism, I don't really, I can't really see the differences in like yeah. a couple of hundred years of European oil painting. Yeah, and like that's not to say that it, it's trash. Like we need, we need to make that very clear. Like, yeah, I can. That's a I statement can, about me, not a statement about oil paintings. Exactly. Like I can step away from that and be all like, oh yeah, like uh, the use of like contrast here is great, and uh, like this this particular artist had a very uh, unique way of depicting light or whatever. But that's that's when I engage with it critically. But when I engage with it emotionally, I'm just kind of left with kind of like it's a whole heap of paintings of dudes uh, that look really similar um so yeah I'm not, I'm not a fan of museums man i'm sorry i know you really dig them it doesn't do apologize for <laughs> uh I'll, I'll say that the i think in the last while museology has sort of recognized that as, as a problem that some people have and some museums will address that like there's one of the museums in york i which i went to a few years ago they have a Roman floor that was excavated and then reconstructed in the museum and you take your shoes off and you walk around on it. So like you actually feel the mosaic on underneath your feet. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's better. I can get down with yeah. that. Definitely. Definitely. Um, like if they, maybe I'm just a bit childish, but like if they had dinosaur exhibits and they had decked out the place so it looks like we're in a natural environment like with all proper grasses and things like it's not a wooden floor uh, and yeah. things like that if it feels it, yeah I suppose it's one thing it just doesn't feel immersive it, lo- it looks like a library of objects to me and that doesn't fill me with any great joy um, but mm-hmm. if they can make it more immersive then then great I remember uh, there's a place relatively near my familiar home called uh, the King's House and it's like this old house. In, it's, it's not even that special. It's just this old, like, historical house. Um, but I remember going there as a kid and loving it because you got to dress up as people from, like, way back. Uh, and they gave you, like, robes. And they gave you, like, the brooches. And they're all like, Look, this is a brooch. And this is what they would use instead of buttons and things. And you're like, oh, cool. Like, like when, when we went to Clifford's Tower. Yeah, yes, yes. Now, you see, that I enjoyed. That I really enjoyed because you got to hold the thing. Like, I got to hold the sword, man. Like, that's class. You got to hold a sword, man. I, yeah, I got to hold a man holding a sword. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was class. But if they're all behind glass, I'd be kind of like, that, that, that's great. That's cool. That's fantastic. Can we maybe go get a Burger King? <laughs> I do like Burger King. Um, <laughs> this podcast has been brought to you by Skype and Burger King. No, this podcast has um, not been brought to you by Skype because Skype is not a good service. <laughs> it certainly wasn't behaving itself today. Um, the same, the same. When you mentioned dinosaurs, there, the same museum in York that that I mentioned had a bit where you could weigh yourself, and they would tell you what dinosaur you weighed the same as. Oh, cool! That's pretty yeah. cool. I think it was a, a Denonicus. You were a Denonicus. Bill the Denonicus. I think so. A Bill a Nonicus? Possibly. <laughs> uh, that seems great and like equal parts great and uh, horrifying because like having <laughs> to take your weight in public is uh, is a bit, you know, mm. there was, um, <laughs> do you know Ryanair? Uh, the, yeah, of course you do. Uh, the, the, for those. The Low Fares Airline. The Low Fares Airline. 
Uh, this podcast has been brought to you by Ryanair. No, oh man, after what I'm going to say, it, it, it absolutely hasn't. Uh, Ryanair, for, for those who don't know, it's yeah, it's a low cost airline. Uh, it's infamous for like really nickel and nickel and diming people, like really like squeezing you. Uh, and there was a um, they keep coming up with these ideas and schemes to like get more money out of you, and uh, one of them. One of them, before I get into the main one, was that uh, they they said they'd rip out the seats from the back half of the plane and put standing room in there. Mm-hmm. And they would charge you, like, I don't know, like a, a fiver for a flight over to England or whatever, but you'd have to stand for the duration of the flight. And everyone's kind of like, man, uh, this whole analogy of people being treated like cattle has been taken to a whole a whole new level of realism. Um, but yeah, the, the, the thing that this reminds me of is that they, they had a thing where... Uh, they were like, we are going to weigh the people, right? And based on your weight, you will either get charged a certain amount or you'll be permitted to have a certain amount of baggage. And it's like, man, that is so insulting. I cannot believe this is even a thing that's been spoken about. Like, it's awful. And actually, while we're on this, I'm going to complain and level a criticism at, at Ryanair here. Um, and feel free to cut out this section and tweet it at Michael O'Leary. Michael O'Leary is the director or the CEO or whatever. Uh, I'm given the internet permission to do this. We booked flights to Morocco. Remember last week I spoke about we're going to Morocco? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, right. The, the flights, we went to Skyscanner, right? And we looked up the flights and Ryanair happened to be the cheapest flight. So we're like, fine, we, mm-hmm. need, to keep, we need to keep costs down. So we went and did that. And then it was like, oh... Uh, the captain was doing the flights and then she was like, oh yeah, we have to pay to put a bag in the hold. And it's like, okay, fine. How much are we paying? Oh, that'll be an additional 75 euro. On, uh, (laughs) I know, right? On uh, a combined, like, no, there's a couple of flights in there. So that's why it's 25 per bag per flight. Um, Oh, okay. And we have a couple of flights, but like the the whole thing comes to about 140 and then you add on the 75 for the bags and you're like, lads and then i want to bring my camera bag with me right which is like my lenses the camera tripods that sort of thing and i want to not pull it in the hold and then the captain goes oh yeah we might have to book priority boarding for that i'm like what and she's like yeah policy change if you want to bring cabin luggage on you have to book priority boarding which means more money to ensure that you can have your cabin baggage and i was like Man, this is ridiculous. And the worst thing about this is that we were like, this is bull. We're going to look at a different carrier. And there, there were other carriers who were coming in like cheaper than the combined cost of the thing. But they were just landing at like bad hours for us, like like too late mm. for us to check into hotels and things like that. And it was like, we have no option. We have to go with like Ryanair, which is the scourge of all existence. And it's just, just like, it's, it's so, it's so like, it's just crap. Like you're advertised flights for X amount. And then when you actually check out, it's like, mm, might be double. It's like, God, yeah. f- you Ryanair. <laughs> I hate them. They're awful. Um, and you can bet that like, it is, uh, we're not going to get fed on the plane. No food. You want food, spend a whole ton of money. You want water, spend money on the water. You know, like it's just, oh, I hate them so much. Anyhow, sorry, rant over. How to world build budget airlines. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I think I've become really spoiled. Like, now, this is real privilege here, so I, I, I appreciate this. But I think I've become quite spoiled uh, tr- uh, visiting the captain in South Korea where you're like, 
you're forced to like f- not fly with budget airlines and once you taste like the glory that is normal airlines you're like oh god this is so good you know like free food lots of complimentary stuff they bring you little face towels they're really nice uh they like look after you like you know there's no extra cost for baggage you can bring on extra Mm. bags everything's so wonderfully accommodating klm by the way this podcast is brought to you by klm klm is a great great company it's a dutch airline they are the best airlines i've ever flown i hear ehiad is better but i've never had the possibility of flying with ehiad before um but yeah they're great ryanair like bottom of the pile awful terrible swindle just it just makes me so angry thinking about them (laughs) but you can like get to london for like 20 quid which is pretty good (laughs) yeah i think they're i think they're absolutely fine for really really short hops like totally fine if if you're just land wanting to go to london for like a weekend and all you have is your backpack uh, then yeah, like what the hell is the point flying a more expensive airline? But if you're like doing a holiday crack, um, it's just like they're just they're just awful. And then they're going to leave you leave you at some airport that's like a gazillion miles from where you actually want to be. And it's just like oh, just, <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, sorry. Can we talk about something more calm? I would like to talk about meditation. Go for it. Um, I've started meditating, Bill. Um, how, how is it? A meditation is class. Like, cool. it's really good. Uh, this is going to be my plea to get the internet to start meditating. Um, what pri- kind of meditation are you doing? I am doing mindfulness, Bill. Okay. I'm doing mindfulness meditation. I have an app called Aura uh, that it it uh, does a guided meditation for three minutes every day. Um, you have to pay to get the seven-minute meditation, so I'm only doing three. Um, and it's just, it's class. Now, I am... I'm not prone to kind of like uh, spiritualism and um, sort of like hippie sort of things where it's kind of like, you know, connect with yourself, auras, chakras, being you know, a sense of oneness. Like that, that all of that is nonsense. And I, I think it does a disservice to what meditation actually, uh, how, how it can actually be of benefit uh, to, the, to the idea that like the idea of just sitting down for three minutes a day where you're forced to not think about work or stress or whatever, and you just breathe really calmly for three minutes, listen to some nice music, and then continue on with your day is great. Like a body fully oxygenated with like deep, deep breaths. Once you stand up from that, you're kind of like, I am ready to tackle today. And it's class. So if anyone is stressed in any way, shape or form, do mindfulness meditation. If you think it sounds like crap, trust me, a lot of it is, but just wade through all the nonsensical nomenclature and just treat it as an exercise in relaxation and breathing and it's awesome highly recommended so good hmm Do what is that app called uh, aura a a u r a i'm not even sure if it's the best one i don't know i just i just picked it and it, it it does a serviceable job it's all good it could do with being less buggy as in like like annoying me it's always constantly like hey edgar we have a story that will brighten up your day i'm like i don't care i don't want this just send me the notification to meditate at half nine in the morning that's all i want but it's like you can't you don't have the option to turn off all the stuff it's like good night edgar sleep well i'm like oh you're so creepy why are you doing that it's terrible um but there's another app that blind boy has recommended that does guided meditations but i can't remember what it's called 
to mention it on his podcast. The on the subject of that, I believe Sam Harris is in the process or has developed a a, a guided meditation app. It'd be interesting to check that one out because he's big into it and he strikes me as much as I am very critical of him. He does strike me as a person who who doesn't seem to double down on chakras and crap like that. Um, oh no, no, I, I would be very surprised if he if he made that part of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, it might make you meditate on why Islam is terrible. Which isn't great, but you know, <laughs> he's man. He's such a douche. Like <laughs> he's such a like. I like. Uh, he's a real interesting one because, like, uh, in many ways, like I admire him uh, as a speaker. Like he, the, the way he his elocution is brilliant. Like the way he talks about subjects is really is really um, thought provoking, and uh, yeah, it's, he's just really fascinating. But then he comes out with this like xenophobic crap about Islam. Uh, but then mm. also like talks about you know like say veganism and talks about um, uh, yeah meditation and you know mindfulness and things that, like I think that are, are um, important things. Uh, so he's really interesting, but I take him with a pinch of salt for definite. Mm-hmm. I yeah I I broadly agree with that. Um, the where where do you stand on this? Has meditation ever crossed your radar? Like, do you think of it as being like anti scientific hokum, or what, what's your what's your thing? No, abs- absolutely not at all. Okay. Do you think it's generally accepted that meditation it ha- actually is of benefit and it's not just for people who uh, want to f- achieve nirvana and find themselves and that sort of thing? Uh, I would imagine anyone who, who like has any interest in psychology and brain stuff would... I would have thought that the consensus would have been, yeah, no, that that's a thing that exists. I mean, yeah, you can you can certainly have absurd and nonsensical uh versions of it and and things associated with it that are that are silly but you know you can say the same about nutrition i mean the fact that mm-hmm. people have bizarre ideas about food doesn't mean that you shouldn't eat healthy yeah that's that is or a- doesn't mean that eating healthy is a good thing rather so I don't want to prescribe how people should behave, but you know what I mean. It doesn't mean that eating healthy doesn't have benefits just because some people can make up nonsense about it. That's actually a really good way of looking at it. That's really cool. Um, have you ever uh, did, wanted to meditate or have you ever meditated? Uh, I was sort of vaguely interested in years and years and years ago, but I never maintained it or kept it up. Um I, it was, I, you know, I would certainly probably need some kind of help with it because I'm very, uh, I, I would get very distracted very easily. I find it very hard to turn my brain off. Hmm. Yeah. You see, this is the thing where I think it suits me very well. It's because I can turn my brain off really easily. Um, I'm a very black and white sort of dude. Like, you know, if someone's like, now you must not think of the X thing. I'm like, okay. Hey, I, I thought that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, like some of the some of the meditations, the guided meditations are like very much geared towards people who can't t- turn their uh, thoughts off because they're like you know they go through various things. Like they say things like I don't know, notice the sound of the cars outside and uh, accept that, and then let that wash away and all that sort of jazz. And I spend most of my time not actually listening to that and just listening to the waves in the background and trying to match my breath to the waves uh, because right. like I don't that's not a thing that bothers me and I, I, I can 
you know, I can be super stressed about like say, oh crap, I have a video to produce. But then at the same time, just be like, now we're in meditation mode. We don't think of that. And that's, you know, that, that, so I think I'm kind of lucky that way. Um, but yeah, man, you should give it a crack. Like if you're ever feeling stressed and stuff, like I'm telling you, it's, 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 I am genuine. I'm shocked as to how good I feel afterwards. Like, and I, again, I was hugely skeptical going into this and only that, like uh, a number of people I respect as being intelligent folk uh recommended it. i was like maybe we should give it a go and at, like i was always a skeptic and now i'm like it's class it's really really good cool and just three minutes like you don't need to like sit there like like a jedi for like three hours like just three minutes it's, it's really cool anyway so internet internet go meditate it's good for you and next week the podcast will be sponsored by <laughs> i don't know i don't know i, I don't know I, mm. If I say any, if I like specify any like specific thing, it'll probably be mean. So I won't put put in your own thing to make fun of that is connected to to meditation. Why, why are you like worried about insulting companies? Well, no, I, I was like, if if I meant uh, I said like some kind of like religion or some kind of belief system or something. Oh yeah, no, the, yeah, okay, we should we should not do that. Oh, but, uh, sorry, no, hold on, say that again. My headphone jack came out on my phone again. Oh, no. This time it was because I was fidgeting with the cord. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm back. Hello. Um, yeah, like, yeah, that, 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 that's fair enough. But like, you know, insulting Ryanair, I have no problem insulting Ryanair. Oh, no, no, no. Death capitalists. Um, yeah. <laughs> and should we end it on that note? I'm sure that's going to be an entirely non-controversial note to say death to capitalism. <laughs> yeah, no, we're definitely not going to get any angry comments about that. <laughs> no angry comments at all. <laughs> All right, Bill, uh, thanks, as always, for, for talking to me. Um, Thank you, as always. And thanks for everyone for listening. We will see you next time. Uh, post next video, whenever that may be. Until next time, Edgar, Edgar out. out.